turning tonight to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11 and verse 27. Luke chapter 11, verse 27. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Our subject this evening is testing the things we believe about life. You cannot live without a view of life. Even if it's fragmented, even if it's poorly thought out, everybody has some view of life, some opinion. You can't have any emotional energy to do anything if you don't have a purpose, a view, an opinion about life and your life in particular and how it should treat you and how you'll get on and what you're aiming at or driving at. Everyone needs a view. But where do we get our views from? How do they form? Are they true? Are they sound? Do they help? Do they really help? Do they strengthen us? Do they enable us to come through life's experiences? What do they contribute? Does Almighty God figure in our view? Or is the Creator and the grand purpose of life just omitted from it, chopped out entirely. Well, that's our subject. I'd like to begin with this 27th verse. It came to pass, as Christ spoke all these parables and these analogies, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bear thee. A certain woman of the multitude. She's not going to be named. We don't know what became of her. We don't know whether she really understood and believed or came to believe in Christ and to follow him. We don't know any of that. And the reason why we're not told is because, well, she plays a part here. But uh, it's the message of Christ which Luke, the physician, focuses on in this passage. So, though we might want to know something about the woman, she did a remarkable thing within the culture of those days. There's a great multitude, a vast crowd, and she calls out so very loudly from the middle of this multitude that she was heard. And her comments are noted, and here they are, recorded for posterity. And she seems to have been a great supporter, in a sense, of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the womb that bear thee. She's in great admiration. But her comments assess Christ, really, 
in an entirely human way. I think we can assume that. Blessed is the womb that bear thee. That's all she has to say. Blessed is the woman who gave birth to you and suckled you as a babe, as an infant. Why she must be so proud in a good sense. She admired Christ. I think she noted his voice and the great strength of his voice that he could for hours on end address such vast crowds. As you well know, there was no electronic assistance in those days. And you had to really be equipped with considerable powers of voice to be heard by thousands. And Christ could be. She was amazed at the sway he had over the crowds. They were absolutely hushed for the most part. You would say they, he had them in his hand. When he spoke, they listened. He had an authority and a command of his subject, which the people weren't used to, even from the professional clergy and the scribes of those days. And they just crowded and flocked. She liked his delivery. She liked his intonation. She liked his expressions. She liked his sincerity. It came through. His expressiveness. Well, I'm speculating. She was full of admiration. His illustrations, his parables, and in between them his healings of countless people. She was completely carried away by observing him at the human level. If I was your mother, she thought to herself, oh, how proud I would be and how pleased that I had had some part in the upbringing of such a person, such a powerful prophet speaker, such an amazing, astonishing, unique man, destined for great things, followed by the crowds. I think it's all at the human level. She doesn't call him rabbi, master, messiah, or anything of the kind. She's a one-woman, Lord Jesus Christ, fan club almost. And she cries out at the top of her voice in appreciation. Christ doesn't condemn her? Certainly not. There was nothing the matter in what she said. She's looking at things from her mother's point of view. I don't think she understood him. Not at this stage anyway. She certainly isn't convicted. Why? He's been talking about the case of a person who achieves some kind of self-reformation in his life. But it's not by the help of God. It's not a transformation of nature, of character. He's just mended his ways. And he uses an analogy and speaks of the, uh, a, a devil having occupied that man and in due course returning to him with seven others. 
so that that man's last state will be worse than the first. That's very profound, and that's what happens. Self-reformation, we try to reshape because we're depraved in heart and we're sinful. We try to reform ourselves and we fall back again and very often end up more cynical and hardened and worse and having picked up other unwanted traits on the journey. Now Christ therefore been giving a warning. There's nothing to be achieved by self-reformation is the message. We need the help of God. She doesn't seem to take any of that in. She's not saying, this is me. This, this applies to me. I should be warned. I need God. I need a saviour. I need help from on high. She doesn't react to his message. She just admires him. But the reply, verse 28, but he said, and the but is there to help us, he did cut across her, he did kind of contradict her, but very gently. What he did, the way he went about it, he said, yes, yes, your reasoning's all right. But rather, much better, much better to be the mother of a preacher or a prophet or a saviour even, a messiah. Much better to be one of those that hear the word of God and keep it. Look how it moves. This dear lady, this woman... She has in her mind one person, Christ's mother. She didn't know who she was. I don't suppose she'd ever seen her. But she said, has one person in mind. She must feel wonderful at having such a son. Notice how Christ turns it round. This isn't a matter of one person. My message is for millions for vast numbers. My message isn't for one person. Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Christ is the saviour of people in every day and age, every land and nation who trust in him and come to him. But it's these words I want us to look briefly at. Yea, rather... Blessed are they, blessed. It translates the Greek for supremely happy. Supremely happy are they that hear the word of God. We just pause with that. Supremely happy. What's meant by this? If you hear the word of God, and I'll come to how you have to hear it, you can be supremely happy. Well, you will receive, if you hear it, you will receive from the word of God a context for your life. You will receive from the word of God an understanding of what we're doing here. Who made us? Why we're here? Where we've gone wrong? What's happened to us? The grace of God, what he has done about it? what he can do for us, 
how to approach him, how to know him, what it is to walk with him, what he requires of you, what he will do for you now and eternally. What a context for life. All that is to be found in the word of God. You will discern from the word of God the human condition, as we call it. Why are we as we are? What are human beings? Vastly higher than the animals. Objects of special creation by God. Made with a purpose. Who are we? Human beings. But why do we behave as we do? Why are we as we are? When I was a youngster, I started off, I suppose, once thinking for myself, I started off as an atheist. But then I became a theist in a vague sort of way. Atheism seemed to be, to me, after reading and thinking and claiming to be an atheist, it seemed to me to be just an an escape. Atheism can't answer half the questions of life. It leaves them out. It won't address them. It ignores them. It's an oversimplification of the human condition. It really fails to explain almost anything. It has no purpose, no context. What is atheism? It boils down to this, that there is no purpose in life whatsoever. You're all here ultimately by chance, by rational processes, over millions and millions of years, unfathomably come about giving rise to order, complexity, beauty, human emotions and thought and so on. It explains nothing. Then why are we a contradiction? Why do we have standards and values but we can't keep them? Any of us, we have weaknesses, we can do some good, we can have some good intentions, but we're also full of failure and pride and deceit and so many other things. How do you explain these things? There is no explanation for almost anything in atheism and there is no purpose. One day there's going to be a fantastic explosion. Everything will come to an end and every life that's ever been lived will be something obliterated, forgotten, in the past, worthless, pointless, without any consequences or any accomplishments. That's atheism. So I became a theist. But I had a very strange view of God because the God I believed in was little more than a kind of force, really. There must be a divine explanation for so many things. But he wasn't a personal God, a God you could approach, a God you could relate to, a God you could know and walk with and find. He wasn't that sort of a God. He was there. Then it dawned on me, this was a very convenient God to have. Because 
If he wasn't a god who tracked individuals and knew what I was doing and had a view about that and had me in mind and in view and had either rewards or punishments for me, if he wasn't that kind of a god, a personal relating god, then I could do as I liked, just like an atheist. I could believe in a force, a god, a personality, but not a personal personality who dealt with people, who noticed people. So I could determine all my own affairs, I could establish all my own boundaries and principles, I didn't have to worry about a day of judgment. And then I came to realize this was an awfully convenient God. Maybe you've got such a God. He's a very convenient God to believe in because you don't have to obey him and consider him and honor him and seek him. There's nothing to worry about. You feel better off than an atheist because they can explain nothing. But on the other hand, you don't have to answer to this God. Now, back to this text. Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God. Here's a context for life. Here's an explanation for the human condition. God who is holy, created man. Man fell. Disobeyed God. Came under judgment. Here, in, here are human beings, men and women, printed within us and in our constitution are the standards of the Ten Commandments, the standards of God. And yet, because we are sinners and sinful, we cannot keep them. We expect others to keep them very often, but we cannot keep them ourselves. Who in this congregation has never lied? Who in this congregation has never been plagued by pride? Who in this congregation has never been plagued by selfishness and self-consideration? And even unkindness and hostility to others and theft in some shape or form even if it's not only not doing your share of things at home who is not plagued with sin and unholy in the sight of God and unfit for the Holy One unfit to stand before him not acceptable by him the scriptures of God, the revelation of God, the Bible, explains it all. The holy God, the creator, the fall of man, the need for a redeemer, a saviour, who will take our place. Christ Jesus, who is a member of the triune Godhead, who came into the world to take our place, to take our punishment himself, and thereby purchase the right to pardon and forgive all who trust in him 
the mercy of God that he should come himself to suffer the consequences and the punishment of our sin because God must punish sin. He cannot do otherwise. It is his nature. Just as he is infallible and holy, so he is just. No sin can go unpunished, but to come and take the punishment himself is loving kindness and mercy beyond the power of words to describe. So we have a context for life. What's the purpose of life? It is for God to create a new humanity, to save millions of people, to inhabit eternity in bliss and purity with him, to help them while here on earth, and to train them and bless them. The context for life and for living why this is so different from the opinions I used to hold and which you may hold. Opinions which don't help us when you're at death's door, when you're very sick, when you're surrounded by heartache and difficulty and things have gone wrong. How do your views help you? How do your opinions strengthen you? How do they lift you up? How do they turn your circumstances round and smooth the path before you? How do they enable you to behave differently? How do they change your character? They don't. Only the teaching of the scripture that brings us to Christ to seek and find him, his pardoning love, and the new life which he gives to all those who trust in him. Only these things help us. Yea, rather, blessed, supremely happy are they that hear the word of God. How do you hear? For years you can, you can hear sermons. You can read the Bible for yourself. And you can be completely without understanding. This is the purpose of many of the parables of Christ. You hear, and yet you don't hear. It's like hearing somebody speaking a language you've never learned. You don't understand a word they're saying. Then the interpreter comes, and you understand. It's like this with the scripture. I didn't understand the scripture as a youngster. I didn't get it. I didn't see it. It was a mystery to me. Certain things you understand superficially, but not its message. It never really came home. And then, by the goodness of God, I started to see. I am the sinner here. Christ is the Savior this is how he did it. This is how I am to receive him and find him. But this is what he will do. And these things shone out of its pages in book after book. It was like suddenly receiving a new language, understanding the message of God, which is plainly set out 
And then you say to yourself, well, how did I not see this before? How did I not understand these things before? Blessed are they that hear the word of God. There's a sense of need in their hearts. Gone is the scorn and the derision for the Christian faith and for the Bible. All those things have disappeared. Perhaps God has to send some great trial or grief into your life so that your self-confidence and your boldness against God to dismiss him momentarily is swept aside and your heart is open and then suddenly you grasp the message of God, the teaching of the scripture about Christ the Saviour and what he has done. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Very interesting word in the Greek there, for keep. Sometimes the Greek word for keep is the word that means uh, uh, hedge about, surround. So you get the keep in a castle, the wall that encloses and protects everything. And that's the keeping word. Here, the keeping word is one that comes more from the growing of something. And there's been a... uh, The gardener has grafted in something to a stock, to a plant, and he's producing a new branch... And he's so interested in this, it's his special labour, and he focuses his eye upon it. It's special to him. And that's the root of this word. Blessed are they that observe. This is striking. I've got my eye on this. I'm not going to let it slip. I'm not going to forget this. This isn't an ordinary book. This is the book of God. This is the message of God. I'm going to cleave to this and hold on to this and study this and learn the way of salvation from it. Blessed are they that hear with understanding and count it as special and observe it and watch it and track it. Those are the words of Christ. Because this is the only source of knowledge about divine things. And spiritual things. Human knowledge is all very well. Very noble. It's God-given. Knowledge of facts. About science and the universe. Various technologies. It's all a noble pursuit. But it won't get you to heaven. And it won't introduce you to God. And it won't change your life. And it won't reform your character. And it won't deepen you as a person. It won't bring your soul to life. It won't teach you to pray. It won't do any of these vital things. Only the book of God will tell you about him and what he wants and what he's done and what he will do and how to find him and what he'll give to you. Only the book of God We can't do without this. It's unique, it's special, it's higher in that sense than all human learning. 
Blessed are they that hear the word of God, the inspired, infallible word of God, and keep it. It's precious. They never, ever let it go. They get mercy from God. They see Christ, as it were, dying on Calvary for their sin. He came from heaven and suffered and died for a worm like me, they say. How I need him. How I need my soul to be washed. All my sin, my record of sin to be forgiven. How I need a new nature and a new life. How I need to know him and to have him and to have his blessing and his guidance and his direction and to walk with him. To have him, it's all here in the word of God. To have his communion, to have his help. Dear friends, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Here's the context for life. Let's scrap our past opinions. Let's bring them under inspection. Where did I get them from? What good will they do me? Let's observe the word of God. An explanation for life. A context for living. An introduction to God. A revealer of Christ and his work leading to an enduring experience of conversion and life. A friend in heaven, the woman in the crowd, admired him only at a human, physical, human accomplishment level. If only she'd found him. Maybe she did. But that's what we must do. We must be certain and seek him and find him. This is true happiness, hearing the word of God and keeping it, responding to it, repenting of our sin, asking for life, following him. Let's pray together. Oh God, our gracious heavenly Father, move in our hearts. Grant us to all of us that illumination by the Spirit whereby we see a need and desire. Oh Lord, draw us to thyself. Bless souls tonight. Set people on their search for thee. Bring people to find thee. Lord, come and bless us all and deal with us in thy great love and all thy merciful kindness. Come now, we pray, in our dear Saviour's name. Amen.